With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Special playoff edition of the Terry's Talking Podcast. We can say playoffs, right, Terry? It's basically yeah. playoff season in Cleveland, so we we can say it's a podcast playoff episode. Even if you try to hit the delete key to get rid of it, it won't work. They are going <laughs> to the playoffs because in the old days you would say you could write it in ink, but nobody uses pens and papers anymore. So how about that? It's, yeah. it's delete proof. <laughs> there we there we go. So. Great thing for Browns fans. So, hey, uh, Terry, do you want to talk about your book real quick, The Guy with the Sign? I know it was a really fun holiday season for you. You got to do some signings and get out and meet a lot of fans of Cleveland sports. Um, How are things going with the book? And I know you've got to meet a lot of great people. Yeah, it was very nice. I had five signings, and I bet I signed probably, I don't know, a couple hundred books between all those, if not more. And so that was that was terrific. And by the way, if I'm ever doing a book signing and you have some of my, my old books, feel free to bring them along, too. Um, if you got 15 of them, like one guy did, then I'll probably put you at the end of the line, but I will sign them. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, so that that's the thing there. But I'm very I'm just grateful that, that uh, the readers were into it and have been apparently some people bought one and then read part of it and then bought uh, some more. So. Uh, it's up on Amazon and you can get it at terryplitto.com. So that's a really, Hey, the Browns are in the playoffs. Just shows sometimes faith as Amari Cooper called Joe Flacco, a faith multiplier. I have never heard that (laughs) phrase. I really like that. And so we had some faith got multiplied this year. All right, well, let's get into it, Terry. Uh, we'll, we'll start with the Browns here. I know we want to spend some time talking about, uh, Frank Ryan who died on new year's day, I believe. And we've, I, I want to ask you about the Cavs and whether you think they're going to win 51 games. And if they don't, if that's okay. So we got a lot, a lot of good stuff to get to. We also have a couple of good listener emails we'll get to at the end from some more cool geographic locations. So, all right, Terry, Joe Flacco, the faith multiplier. Mm-hmm. Why don't you explain what your column – it's based on what Amari Cooper was saying, as you just mentioned. But talk about that concept of a faith multiplier and what that's kind of meant to the Browns. I think all of us in our life or in our jobs or whatever are looking for stability in somebody we could trust, especially when it's somebody who, when they do their job, directly impacts our job. And, okay, for example, if your car is having problems and you've had an experienced mechanic, maybe he didn't work on your car, but he's worked on your friend's cars 
You maybe checked them out online. It all sounds good. You have a fair amount of faith pulling it in there, as opposed to I'm driving through some small town in the middle of nowhere. My car is falling apart. I pull into Joe's garage, and it's not Joe Flacco garage. It's just Joe's garage, and I have no idea what I'm getting. Well, for the Browns players, when they after uh, Deshaun was out, when they had both DTR and they had P.J. Walker, they didn't know what they were getting. And the little bit they saw made them nervous. They wouldn't say that, but it's just a fact. And because those guys still have to prove things in the NFL. And then when Flacco shows up, and as Joe Petonio said, first of all, we saw that he could throw very well. Then he has to see how it did in the game. And by the end of the first half of his first game, even with the Rams, which they ended up losing, you're going, yeah, he can still play. And on top of that, just the uh, poise and ability to communicate in the huddle. Uh, I'm sure coaches were ecstatic to work with him. Oftentimes, you heard Stefanski and Van Pelt both say this. You could tell he's been through a bunch of different offenses and systems. Uh, so, in other words, they were able to speak in shorthand. Get uh, they got out of the 101 level of football and you know almost a graduate level quickly. So that's what it does. And then if you're a receiver on top of it, somebody like Cooper who runs such precise routes, um, you're relying on the quarterback to throw the ball on time, you know, on on target. And that was hard for those younger guys. And I will also say, by the way, often it was hard for, for a Watson. I thought Watson did not have anywhere near the accuracy he used to have in Houston. Now, some people will counter with, well, look at Joe. He's only completing 60% of his passes and that. But there are times Flacco's just throwing the ball away. I mean, he's not trying to complete it. He just, just doesn't want to get sacked. And by the way, offensive linemen really appreciate that. Um, and I also remember Alex Van Pelt, when he was frustrated with Baker for a while, he said, we keep telling Baker, an incomplete pass is not always a bad play. Live and to fight another day. Yeah, right. Okay, yep. so, you know. You don't get sacked, so you didn't lose eight yards. You didn't risk a sack and a fumble. And you didn't just force it into triple coverage. You fired it into the seats and, yeah, live to live another day. So that's, I think, when you talk about faith multiplying. And then as he's started to have more success, uh, the the players, you could tell, just galvanized around him. It's remarkable. It's just a remarkable thing. He comes in here. He has no history with this team. He has no training camp. He has no first 10, 11 weeks or whatever it is. Uh, he must have, no matter, I don't want to hear any more about sitting on the couch and playing catch with his brother or whatever. He was training somewhere, maybe not football training, but his physical training, his physical stamina to go out there and throw 40 passes a game, stepping in the middle of the toughest part of the year in the NFL, uh, this guy's legs were strong, his wind was strong, all that stuff, and along with being mentally strong. Yeah, you said he extended his offseason. Terry, I was going to ask you later in the podcast what you thought the most important game of the year so far has been for the Browns, but this, t- this ties into your faith multiplier yeah. concept, so I'm going to mention it now. I-, I think that December 3rd loss to the Rams in Los Angeles, even though it was a loss, was that was the day when the faith multiplier really, I think, jumped in because it's December 3rd. The Browns had just been through that road. Um, it was it was their road trip. It was the second part of the road trip. They'd just been to Denver. And you know how it is when you play in sports, Terry. You keep ramming into the line, ramming the line, ram, 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 over and over and over. And if you're not winning, after a while, you can be like, man, why am I ramming into this line over? And I was just thinking about the defense. Like, they were playing so hard. 
and the results weren't coming. And you can only do that for so long before you lose your hope, right? And when Flacco showed up, just like you said, that day they lost, but he was 23 of 44 for 254 with two touchdowns, and he did have an interception. But I think that day was like the faith, the beginning of the faith multiplier. I think the guys on defense saw like, man, we're going to have some one-play drives with this guy in the lineup. He can sling it. And I, they've gone 4-0 and since that loss to the Rams. And that, that, to me, was like the most important game so far for the Browns because I think the defense was just getting to the point where maybe they were getting ready to kind of give up a little bit. Um just for hope. And I think Flacco just reinstilled that faith in them that day. And, and it's just taken off since then. So I, I mean, two arguments uh, for there. One would be, I think when DTR beat the Steelers after a Watson was hurt and they came back 13, now the defense carried them, but DTR didn't mess it up. 13 mm-hmm. to 10. That was a big game, but so then, that, that's the game. That was one of the games you thought was important. Okay. Yes. But, but it's not my number one choice. Okay. I, th- Interesting. I think it's, I think it's ignored. Um, because granted the defense carried them, but we've seen quarterbacks just give the team, give the, give the other team. Well, for example, if they'd have had a repeat of how Deshaun Watson played in week two against the Steelers, remember he gave them 14 points in that game. If DTR had done that, you're going to lose, but they didn't. Okay. So then, uh, the other game, and I forgot where exactly it rolled on the calendar. They're playing the bears. And if you remember, Flacco looked like suddenly he looked like he was 38 going on 58 in that game. Balls were picked off. It just looked like, uh oh, maybe that was just kind of a uh, sort of a flash from the past, a, a star that's going to float away. And then you go to the fourth quarter, and bang! Oh, he throws a couple touchdown passes. He's got his mojo back. They're back going, and they they turn around and win. You lose that game to the Bears. Flacco has a really tough time. Um, it, I think we have a different conversation going right now. Although I will say this, even if now looking at Flacco, even had they lost that game and he continued to play poorly, his ability to handle failure and bounce back. Uh, we haven't seen a lot of that around here from quarterbacks. All right, Terry, I did want to mention a few stats you had in your column about Joe Flacco. Some of these are pretty remarkable. <laughs> and you said you said in your column, I think, that the New York media has had a field day with this. But yeah. Joe Flacco has 13 touchdown passes, and it's more than all the Jets quarterbacks have this season. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 11. I think was this might have been before this week, past weekend's game. I'm, games, I'm trying to remember when this column went up, or maybe it was after. I'm not sure. But, um, oh, no, because yeah, they played the Jets. They played the yeah, Jets. So. Yeah, so that's correct, yeah. Yeah, so that's correct. Um, and then his the other thir- – Go ahead. Go ahead. You, you want to do that one? Well, no. And then the other one was Flacco was throwing more touchdown passes than all the other Browns quarterbacks combined. In 11 games, in their 11 games, yeah. they have The well, other quarterbacks have nine, and he has 13. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's just uh, really, and this is why I understand I'm getting all these emails from fans, and they want Flacco back next year, and, you know, they're wondering how all that's going to play out, and Basically, I'm kind of answering uh, Flacco at one point this year. says, I'm just living in the moment, and I'm kind of leaving that for later on. But you could understand why people are, are feeling that way and thinking that way. And so, the, you know, that's the other one. There's a what he's thrown more touchdown passes and more interceptions than anybody else in the last five games. But then again, he's also thrown for more yards. Yeah, that's right. Um, and in the last five games, you were just mentioning this, Terry, 
he's thrown for 1,616 yards. <laughs> and you quoted That's averaging the 30. Like, it's averaging like 310 yards a game. Um, and you, you quoted the 33rd team on this, but he's yeah. thrown more completions for at least 20 yards oh, of yeah. the ball traveling at least 10 yards in the air than anyone else. And I love this stat, Terry. <laughs> yeah. We had a post on this the other day, but in five games with the Browns, Flacco's got 1,616 yards. Just ahead of him on the on the Browns' all-time passing list in 31st place is Johnny Manziel with <laughs> 1,675 yards. He did that in 14 games. And Ugh. Johnny Manziel saw this the other day that Flacco was only 59, 59 yards away from passing Manziel, and Johnny Manziel tweeted out, uh, some records were meant to be broken. <laughs> well. I will give him a sense of Classic. humor for that. That was very good for Johnny. Oh, Lord. And that's why you just think about, you know, Manziel and all these other guys rolling through here. By the way, uh, I may be maybe not in the minority on this, though, but I've been happy to see Baker uh, kind of turning his career around. He's had a nice season with Tampa Bay. And if you look at his numbers, it's kind of similar to what he did here in 2020. Because I always thought when Baker's head is right and he's in the right situation, he could be an above-average quarterback in the NFL. So, uh, you know, good for him and good for uh, him reestablishing himself in Tampa Bay. Yeah, and I, I don't know that it was ever a talent thing with him here, right, Terry? It was more like he, he just needed to mature yeah, and, and become he, a professional. And, and it, the Browns just got tired of having to deal with all that. And, and the injuries. He's grown up, it seems yeah, like. Yeah. yeah, the injury stuff and – uh, they didn't handle the injury stuff well, and neither did he, because um, he would try to have it both ways of, uh, you know, I'm playing hurt, what do you expect? Um, and then, but the thing is, if you're on the field and you're playing, then you have to uh, accept that you're going to be judged by injured or not, you're playing. And then, of course, uh-oh, here he comes out of the barn again. Case Keenum was sitting right there. Now, I know my guy got hammered by the Browns' defense, but Case Keenum, as we saw there, and even before they played the Browns, you put Case Keenum up against an average defense with you know decent play calling, he gives you a chance to win. And so um, that that's there. But if you put him against the Browns, but they're having all those problems in – in, in Houston, and Flacco comes out and just hammers in a couple touchdowns, and the defensive coordinator can blitz on every call. Well, forget it. Case Keenum is case closed on that one. So, yeah, um, they were really shorthanded that day. But, so, but it was great to see. I love that with the Browns. The same thing with the Jets. If Flacco gets hot, gets you out to a start, and all of a sudden Jim Schwartz is like, this is so much fun. We're just going to keep opening the playbook. We're going to blitz from all kinds of angles, and you know, we're going to do all kinds of stuff here. Uh, oh, yeah. definitely. You, you know if you give up a touchdown, you, you're probably going to get it back, and that yeah. you can play fast and loose with the blitzing. You're, you're right on that, Terry. So, um, Hey, before we move on to Flacco, we got a really interesting email. Uh, speaking of throwback, this one is about Nate Thurman and Flacco, Terry. Mm-hmm. So I want, And it comes from... Savannah, Georgia, from Mark and Lori Civic, and they write in and say, hey, dear Terry and David, congratulations on reaching 100 podcasts together. I don't miss a one and frequently share them with friends and relatives. Watching Flacco's postgame speech in the locker room after a recent victory got my wheels spinning. I noticed how everyone in the video, coaches and players, listened respectfully to what Flacco said 
Like Flacco, Nate Thurmond was a great player with not much time on the clock. Thurmond's leadership was critical to the Cavs team realizing their potential. Terry, I noticed you mentioned Savannah, Georgia in your most recent podcast. My wife and I now live in Savannah for five or six months out of the year. What's funny is our Georgia friends know that our social calendar revolves around the Cleveland games. <laughs> our friends check first to make sure that one of the three teams are not playing or they have or, or offer to have the game on for us when visiting them. We suffered a, suffered a storm-related power outage during the Browns-Bears game, and one of our friends came and picked us up so we could watch the game at their home. Uh, he says, wishing you both a happy and healthy 2024. And again, that's from Mark and Lori Civic. So what do you think of the Nate Thurman comparison, Terry? In in terms of the faith multiplier, absolutely. Thurman came into the Miracle of Richfield year, the um, uh, 75 uh, year. And uh, I think the Cavs are something like 5 and 13. I don't have that in front of me, but it's something like that. And Bill Fitch actually was kind of struggling with the group of players they had. There was a lot of frustration. Uh, they came, they brought Thurman in, who was falling out of favor with Chicago. And Thurman came in, and Jim Jones was a starting center. And he was very nervous about Thurman starting in his place. But they sat down, Jones and Thurman and Bill Fitch sat down. And Thurman said, no problem, Jim, I'm going to come off the bench. You know, you just do your thing. I'll do my thing. And Joe Tate, who said that he remembered early on, they were stuck in an airport back when they flew commercial. And the guys were moaning about the weather and all this stuff. And Thurman just started going to different guys. Just shut up, man. We're in the NBA. You're making more money than you ever thought you would. It's an airplane. We'll get there. And he said it was just stuff like that. And because of just like the stature that Flacco had, and by the way, it may not be fair, but because both of these guys are big guys physically, but sort of speak softly, I think that goes a long way. You know, Thurman was close to seven foot. Flacco's, you look at Flacco, he's six foot five. He towers over most of these guys. And that is another thing, you know, they all speak softly and look tall and, tall and tough. Uh, well, that carried them over. The big difference was, you know, Nate was a like his plus minuses were always good, but he was playing 15, 20 minutes a game until they ended up trying to uh, beat the Celtics in the second round of the playoffs when Jones broke his foot and and uh, Nate just couldn't uh, deliver, you know, 35 minutes of quality ball at that point. But Flacco's out there throwing 40 some passes a game. I mean, so that I go back to this whole thing about conditioning and that, but in terms of leadership, is an absolute um, matchup on that. But in terms of performance, Flacco's actually exceeded what Thurman did. Huh. Well, thanks for that letter. We appreciate that, That's Mark. That's a really Laurie. good one. Yeah, That's it's a, a great comparison. comparison. Yeah. Um, all right, Terry, we've got a couple more minutes to talk Browns here. Is Kevin Stefanski the coach of the year to you right now? <laughs> Probably because we've watched them closer than anybody else, I would say yes. I don't know. Who else are they looking at? Oh, I, you know, I think if you look around the league, the, the um, there's a few guys. I, I should have pulled the odds. I'll see if I can pull that next week after the voting happens. Yeah. But uh, D'Amico Ryans from Houston has to be up there. I mean, they're, they've mm-hmm. been in the playoff fight for a month. I think he's going to be in it. I, I don't know who else. I mean, I'm just – Kevin Stefanski, I, there's some good numbers here that I wanted to throw out, Terry. He is – one of only two coaches to ever win 11 games more than once in his career. Paul Brown was the other. Of course, there weren't as many games back then, but yeah, Paul Brown did thing. it in that's, that's 51 that's, that's, and 53. 
and protect, spans through 2020 the, and 23. Yeah, to protect the history thing, um, that is, to me, it, it, it's nice, but it just doesn't add up. I mean, I was looking at like, like when Frank Pryan played, they were playing 14 games back then. You know, at one point they were playing only 12. Um, the other factor, though, that is significant is, you know, Stefanski being the only guy to win more than, have a winning record more than once with the Browns since Marty Schottenheimer. I mean, that that says a lot because that's, that's a court comparison. But go ahead. What else? Um, yeah, and I was going to say, if the Browns win against Cincinnati, they'll have 12 wins. I think that equates, you know, to in a 17-game yeah. season. So anyway, that you can debate that one. Um, and the other, there's a couple things that I, I wanted to throw out that kind of define this team to me. And I know you watch penalties all the time, Terry, and I know mm-hmm. the offsides make you crazy. But I, I pulled the penalties from this four-game winning streak. And they had four for 26 against the Jets, mm-hmm. nine for 55 against Houston, nine for 48 against the Bears and eight for 75 against the Jaguars. And so the first part of this is like we used to sit and watch Browns games every week and you'd always see a late hit out of bounds or a hands to the face penalty that had just the worst possible time that cost him 15 yards or guys landing on the quarterback, which is against the rules now when you're set, you know, when you hit them, all that stuff has like gone away. Like I can't remember the last time I've seen a late hit a guy landing on a quarterback or a hands to the face that's been a stupid 15-yard penalty. I might be missing one, but the discipline on this team has really been something. Have you noticed that? Yes, other than they, they can't line up right, you know, the <laughs> right. defense. That lining up in the neutral zone, to me, and you sit by me, it drives me crazy. It's like, look down the line. You see the ball. Don't put your hand there. Um, but the rest of it, because when you have a very aggressive defense, oftentimes the personal fouls, follow now these guys get flagged for pass interference but it's kind of like holding on offense you know I don't know what is or isn't sometimes pass interference and some of those end up being like the one in the Jacksonville game they had a couple I think there's like a 30 or 40 yard penalty in there on a pass interference um, so those are the only ones but you're correct and uh, for the most part they don't play stupid football where the Browns used to major in stupid football. Yeah, and, and so that's part of it. And the other thing that I think about this Stefanski team is I think there was about 7-13 to go in the game the other night against the Jets, and the Browns are up 34-20, to 20, and they're playing music during a TV timeout. And I look out on the field, and, like, Martin Emerson and Greg Newsom are dancing in the huddle. They're dancing mm-hmm. with each other for, like, 45 seconds, and some of the other guys are starting to shake back and forth. And it just that those two things kind of summarize what we're seeing right now is just the discipline, but they're not so tight that they're not having fun. Like they're having a good time too. It's like, it's a perfect combination of discipline and, and still having fun. And I think that's really one thing that's really drawn fans back into this team. If they maybe weren't before is just discipline, you know, smart, tough, accountable, but also it's fun. It's fun to watch these guys play. Yeah, um, and that was Schwartz told them, you know, you can celebrate and do all this, but um, we're not going to be a dumb team. And and so now if they're dancing around after guys keep winding up off sides and people are doing, you know, dumb personal fouls, out-of-bounds hits and that, it's a different story. And But when he, he wants them to play with emotion, and if you think about um, the way – Andrew Barry basically engineered the change in the coaching staff. Stefanski was certainly open to it. 
But, you know, Schwartz is a very guy. And also, Bova Ventrone was a, a guy that apparently, that's one of those where I told you, it's not, you, you didn't have your car there, but the faith multiplier came into play. Because remember, Barry worked for the Colts for years when he was younger. So he still knows all these Colts people and they knew Baba. And so, but they also knew that both of those guys bring in a lot of emotion and also some discipline that they felt the team was lacking with the previous coordinators, especially Joe Woods. They'll never say that, but it's a fact. And if you notice, Miles Garrett used to do all that passive-aggressive, semi-second-guessing, um, what they're doing on defense. I think all those guys are scared to death to even try that with, with Schwartz. Because, one, they know um, that he'll get on them. But, secondly, they also know – even if you're not sure, but if you have that faith multiplier in place, you're thinking, this guy, he probably does know. He, he's known what he's doing so far. I'm going to give him a break on that one. You know, it's just like, look, not every pass Flacco's made has been good. He had, there was one game, I think, I think it was the Bears game, where he threw the three picks. There were like two others that could have been picked off, uh, but weren't. Nonetheless, it's like, no, we Joe's our guy. And and we're just going to stick with him. And uh, it's been a while since uh, a quarterback. Baker had that in 2010 with the team. Uh, they they The guys trusted, especially the second half, they trusted Baker. And, and he performed well with that. Then after that, you got to go back to, I mean, I know Baker had a pretty good rookie year in 18, but that was, that was a, an odd year. Then I don't know who. Couch maybe for a little while early on. But it is it's very it's very rare for the Browns to have a quarterback where they say this is our guy. And see what's happened with Watson, he's not been able to play long enough to sustain that. You know, they're they're they say the right stuff about him and it may turn out to be that way. See, had he played after the Baltimore game, you know, that was a big faith multiplier for the team to see him lead that. But now he's hurt again. And on top of that, he's out for the whole year. So thank goodness we you know what's nice, it's not like hanging over the franchise right now. Flacco steps in, they went four out of five, and you know, we're talking playoffs and, and we're living in the moment. And all that other stuff could just wait till after the season. And I don't even want to hear a word about a mock draft. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Think of the old line from uh, Bull Durham, Terry. Don't mess with a winning streak, right? <laughs> like, yeah. Sometimes Browns fans are more worried about what's next than what's going on mm-hmm. right now. This, this does not happen very often, if ever. No. And just no. enjoy it. Enjoy it and let it let it play out and just have a great time with it. And then they can figure out the quarterback thing later on in the offseason. And the last so. thing on Flacco, I've mentioned it sort of, but just to de- drive deeper on it, the healing that has taken place in the fan base right now. It's not just Flacco, like you said. Browns fans are pretty sharp when, they're, when they when they kind of calm down a little bit. You know, when they're upset, they want to fire everybody and burn the stadium down. But when they get off of that, um, they know the difference between smart and good football and dumb football. And they see it. And they don't like drama. They really don't. That is gone. If the biggest drama we've had all year is whether early on whether Deshaun could play when he had the rotator cuff problem, which how bad was it or whatever, I will argue it's probably worse than he even said since he ended up having surgery. Um, you know, if that's it, you don't have drama. You just have football stuff. So that's been, I think, a big relief. And then finally, 
you know, the Flacco story is one of the most fun Cleveland sports stories in a long time because it's so unexpected. All right. Well, Terry, I want to leave some time to talk about Frank Ryan here, but we do need to do the Terry Weekly Kicker update. Uh, last week, I asked you how worried you were on a scale of one to 10 about Dustin Hopkins injury. You said you were a nine. Uh, oh, some good news. Corey, it looks like Corey Bohorquez is going to be back punting in Cincinnati good. this week. So that's a good sign um, for the Browns. And so how, what's your worry index this week on Dustin Hopkins and, and how you're feeling about him being ready for the playoffs? We don't really have any information on his injury, but nothing's changed. Um, you still at a nine? Probably until he's out there kicking. I mean, the Patterson kid, he, I mean, he was okay. It was, it was, he missed the one extra point. And then, and I understand also too, you just get cut and be, by the way, part of the reason he got cut was for missing two extra points in his last three games. Cause overall he was 15 to 17 on field goals for the lions. And so you're in there and you don't know how long you're going to be there. That extra point, even though it wasn't a game that's not tight, it felt like my career's on the line. So he did miss one. I think he kicked three or whatever it was. And um, so we'll see more. But I want my main guy in a big game. And until I see my main guy on the field, I'm nervous with these guys that you just pick up. Because Phil Dawson say, they think we're on every corner like a stop sign. Well, look again. Um, we, they can't, he always would say they can't find 20 of them. Uh, I don't know if it's a favorite number, but I think I think somebody once told him you can't find 20 quarterbacks. He, his argument is you can't find 20 kickers either. So uh, we will see. But one of those 20 is the guy that's, that's won five games in the last few minutes for the Browns, five games of big kicks and missed zero, zero. I want that guy. And so until I get that guy, my nervous rating's pretty high. Well, I guess one good thing, Dustin Hopkins is an athlete, Terry. We saw him chasing down that kickoff return. No, and don't I think do I, it. No. I, no, I, no, no, I'm just saying I, I think he played <laughs> defensive back in high school. Yes. I, he, he keeps himself – you talk about Flacco staying in good shape. Oh. I think Dustin Hopkins oh. keeps himself in good shape. And I, I'm sure he's strengthening that kicking leg with leg, with leg extensions or whatever they do. It's the plant leg that he pulled yeah. the hamstring on. So um, if he can get back, I, I'm sure he will. I'm sure he oh, will. Yeah. No, don't yeah. doubt. I mean, it, it, it's been a – I mean, for he's had a sort of a Flacco-like season too, because remember he was cast off. Um, they because last year he had a hamstring injury, I believe it was the other leg, but he had a hamstring injury. He also has a history of groin injury, so those muscle core area are things that have haunted him in the past. And you know, I think he's gotten more recognition and love this year than any time in his career. And you know he he wants that back. No, I don't question. I don't question anything about Hopkins other than um, he's just got to get healthy. But motivation, all that, it's all there. All right, Terry. Some sad news this week. Um, Frank Ryan, uh, the Browns' last Browns quarterback to win a championship uh, in 1964, helped the Browns beat the Colts 27 to nothing. Died at age 87 on New Year's Day from Alzheimer's. Uh, I, I, I talked to Frank Ryan a couple of times back when in the newsroom at the plane dealer, he would call to ask to talk to a reporter and it, it, just a wonderful guy. But I know you knew him really well from your Brownstown 1964 book. Do you want to talk about Frank Ryan for a moment? He is one of the more remarkable stories that's lost in Brown's history because Ryan uh, grew up in Fort Worth. He would, was recruited to go to Rice. He went there primarily because he wanted to study physics. He went there on, um, it was kind of a half 
academic football thing. Um, he was on the team, but he didn't start that much. In fact, he only threw, how about this? He threw a grand total of 56 passes in his college career. They had a quarterback in front of him. I love this name, King Hill, who actually was the first round pick overall, number one pick in 1958 draft. Uh, Frank was in that draft. He was picked in the fifth round by the Rams. He was stunned. He did not he just figured he's going to graduate school. He decided to get something even more challenging than physics. He was going to go into very high-level math. And so the Rams called him. They didn't offer him a bonus, but they did talk him into coming out. And they said, come on, give it a ch- shot. So he went out and he made the team. He was primarily a backup there in four years. Um, back then, uh, some of the coaches, what they would do, like if you had got off to a bad start and you weren't the, quote, guy, Unlike now, they pull you from games. And so Frank got pulled from several games, and it really rattled his confidence. And then, in fact, got so bad that uh, at the end of the 1961 season, he went in and just asked to be traded anywhere. Uh, And then he was traded to the Browns before the 62 season. And the Browns had a guy named Jim Nanowski. He was their kind of heir apparent to be the quarterback. And Ryan was not happy about it because he thought, oh, great, I'm just going to sit behind this guy, too. They're not going to really open up the competition. It had nothing to do with Cleveland. Just He just felt that the, the, the clock is ticking. He's still taking courses, by the way, at Rice in the offseason and, and for, for now high-level math. And so he came in, and Nowski starts the first half of that year, breaks a collarbone. This is the classic thing. Here comes your opportunity. Ryan steps in, plays pretty well. Um, so it started the 63 season when that was when Paul Brown was fired, Blanton Collier, who was sort of like the offensive coordinator and special teams or sorry, quarterback coach, a former algebra teacher in high school. Ryan has now found his, you know, football muse. And I did not know that <laughs> you got the math guy, the algebra teacher and, Collier, I mean, Blanton Collier had a way of, he had all these theories on things. I remember Jim Brown, when I interviewed him, said, Blanton Collier really was saying a lot of the same stuff that Paul Brown did. He he goes, he said it nicer, and he would spend more time with you. And almost by the time he was done with you, you thought it was your idea, not his. <laughs> and it was he was, you know, he was a modern coach in an era where Paul Brown was really my way, the highway. And on top of that, Brown was fighting with, owner Mark Art Modell at that point and kind of taking that out on the players. It, it got to be pretty ugly. So Ryan moves in 63, 64. He's playing. Well, yeah, granted, he's got Jim Brown. He's got all these guys, but you know, he had Gary Collins. He had Paul Warfield in 64. And remember in the championship game, he threw three TD, but they, they want to set out the, the Colts set out to shut down Jim Brown. And so the, the, those like kind of the same kind of stuff you saw from uh, Joe Flacco, he had a big, tall quarterback. He was 6'3", 200, which is big for that time, with a strong arm. This was before his arm got hurt. He's firing that ball down the field. They're getting behind the defensive backs, and Gary Collins is catching three touchdown passes, and all this stuff's going on. Um, and they were really good for several years. Unfortunately for Frank, by the way, after the 64 season, he finished up his math courses, and he got his Ph.D. in math. And then – so now he's playing the next couple of years for um, the Browns. He's also teaching math at Case Western. And then finally, what happened? He started to get hurt. 
the arm injuries. This one year, I think it was 66, he told me, he was taking two cortisone shots a week, one on Wednesday so he could do the practices and one uh-huh. right before the game. And they misdiagnosed some stuff. He ended up having shoulder surgery, elbow surgery. One time they stuck him with a needle to try to put it in there. It hit a bone. The bone mm-hmm. is stuck into the knee. I mean, it's awful. And so by 67, 68, like I remember more seeing Frank towards the end of his career and he was throwing more sidearm. But when he was younger, he would throw more over the top. He was just trying to play with that bad arm. And then his career ended. Then, of course, it's like, okay, I'll just go to work. He he gets hired by the, the, the House of Representatives to, to, to create an electronic voting system, which he did. He, you know, he teaches calculus and, and high-level math at Yale. He teaches it at Rice. He teaches it at Case. He spends 10 years as an athletic director at Yale, where he still taught at least one math course per semester. And it just went on. This was this guy's career. He, when he walked away from football, he kind of walked away from it. I mean, he watched it, but walked away. And I will say late in his life, you know, he, he died from Alzheimer's. He was 87. He became very concerned about the CTE stuff and all that. So um, the and other actually, thing. The family actually donated his brain to the brain, CTE researchers, yes, right? Yeah. Right. And his son, Pancho, Frank Jr., he was always called Pancho from a little kid. He said probably the he, he said, please, because I'm writing a faith column over the weekend on the family and others dealing with dementia. And he said, please tell people if they're, you know, would, would be willing to have their brains donated to these different things uh, to, so that they could be examined and helped. But, I mean, what a story on this guy. I mean, Some he life, just, huh? I mean, Ryan once said, I was only the fourth or fifth best quarterback in my high school conference uh, in Fort Worth. Jim Schaffner, who later played for and coached for Browns, I guess he was the big star. Um, and just what he did, I mean, that's the last quarterback to win a title. And he did it throwing it. Now, they won a lot of games with Jim Brown and Ernie Green. Don't misunderstand. And later, he won a lot of games with er- Leroy Kelly and Ernie Green in the backfield. But, you know, the guy... And and it took a former algebra teacher to to get him on track. He was like fifth year of his career when this when it started to kick in. Man, um, hey Terry, we got a letter from uh, Tom Fodor from Indianapolis that kind of ties into a lot of what you're talking about here. We'll, we'll get to it real quick before we take a break here. But here's what Tom wrote: Ryan DeCollins touchdown. Browns radio voice Gib Shanley said that a lot when I was growing up in Akron. How good was Frank Ryan? Besides being a champion, he's still number three on the NFL's all-time list for highest percentage of touchdown passes. Not impressed? A man by the name of Otto Graham is number four on that list. Despite taking his last snap in 1969, he's still number 11 all-time in yards per completion. The Browns in those days would make the rounds of the entire Northeastern Ohio area, signing autographs for nervous pre-teens like yours mm-hmm. truly. I still have Dr. Ryan's signed photo. I asked him to show me how he gripped the ball. Since I considered myself an above-average street football quarterback, he grabbed the ball I had, enveloped his huge fingers around one, and said, you hold it like this. <laughs> I, I observed that his index finger didn't quite line up with the rest of his hand, a byproduct of the tough era yeah. he played in. He noticed, winked, and added in his soft Texan drawl, of course, having a crooked finger helps. <laughs> <laughs> 
My yeah. dad and I attended the Rams-Browns game number three of the 1968 season, not knowing until years later that it would be the last game Ryan would start yeah. in his NFL career. I still have the ticket stubs, which marked the end of an era in the mind of a 12-year-old, the end of the Browns being NFL champions. One could say that season proved that nothing lasts forever. But as I wrote this, I realized that some things do last forever, like memories of an NFL championship and a boy being able to joke with his sports idol, events still fresh 60 years later. Rest in peace, Dr. Frank Ryan. That's lovely. Thank you for sending that in. Appreciate that, Tom. Yeah, I think these stories are important. Even, for example, when I wrote the book Our Tribe, uh, I talked about how the, the Indians are like a second family to me. Now, I never saw Woodrow play. I never saw Bob Feller or Bob Lemon pitch. Uh, Tris Speaker, my father, talked about all of those guys. He was born in 1920. So they were like part of the extended family, maybe if they, or, or for an immigrant family, for example. Those are the folks from the old country, you know, here. That, then we began to, like, for example, the, the tribe of the 60s and 70s. My dad and I followed those teams together. Well, it's the same thing, I think, with Browns fans. A lot of these people here did not see Frank Ryan or Jim Brown or whatever, but they know enough because of the stories, the oral history, not just what's written, but the oral history, um, that they've embraced those memories too. But it's really fun. I like somebody like Ryan, where we could bring up the whole uh, picture of what he accomplished here and then put the exclamation point to what he accomplished later. Now, Paul Brown would lecture his players that you must gain another skill. Football goes away quick. You don't make enough money. And he would help set these guys up. A lot of them were in the insurance business or, uh, and other sales jobs uh, because uh, that was a big part when I wrote Brownstown 64 was they knew this, the money wasn't that big and they knew they were one big injury away from being out of work. Oof. Well, you're so right about the stories being passed down. They're like family heirlooms, aren't they, Terry? From yes, one generation are. to the next, and it connects everybody. And we've talked about that, and we've gotten some great letters from listeners to this podcast about all that. So, uh, all right, Terry, let's take a break, and uh, we'll get back. We'll get into some Cavaliers. We'll be right back on Terry's Talking. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, we're back on Terry's Talking, David Campbell and Terry Pluto. Uh, let's get into the Cavaliers a little bit, Terry. They're 18 and 15 as we tape this on Wednesday afternoon, and they're tied for the number seven seed in the East right now. We got a letter from Neil from Jamestown, New York, about Donovan Mitchell. I want to run to pass you, Terry. Um, it says, hey, Terry, a comment on the likelihood of the Cavs retaining Donovan Mitchell. The Cavs could learn a lot from the Guardians in this regard. Trade the player at the top of their value. A good example is the Guardians taking the Padres to the cleaners in the Clevenger trade. Your thoughts? Your well, thoughts, Terry? A couple of things are going on with Clevenger. One was, um, if you remember, he had had some arm problems. He'd been on a dis- disabled list a couple of times. And it was sort of like the Aaron Savali trade when they did that. They were very fearful that if we don't dump this guy soon, he's going to get hurt again. And to case in point, he went through a couple of games for the Padres, and the next thing you know, he had to go get his second Tommy John operation. So they felt that clock ticking. 
uh, and they found a desperate team in San Diego willing to give him a bunch of prospects for him. It also was the COVID year, and it also was the same year, if you recall, Clevenger and Zach Plezak blew curfew, went out and partied or whatever, and got suspended. So that was a what they considered sort of a breach of there because the um, um, the Guardians were stressing, you know, Terry Francona and then T, and just the other guys, you know, they, were, they had a couple other coaches that were older, very vulnerable at that point to catching this. So it was a different setting. Um, I suppose they could get more from Mitchell now than, say, in the offseason, but you don't know what Mitchell has in mind, nor do you want to just give give up on the Mitchell experiment. What I would say is, you know, halfway through it, when you knew you had three full years on the contract, and if you you trade him now, and the argument is you trade him now because you're not going anywhere because Garland and, and Mobley are out, well, there is no indication that they will remain out all season. So why not? And now, I mean, I, I, I believe me, the stuff I wrote all the weekend, I just didn't pull it out of nowhere. It was very, as they say, well-sourced, very high up. And they, I was told this is what the Cavs have been telling the other team. We're not moving this guy now. Yeah, well, listen, you know, but it's just like the stuff with yeah, the I think Guardians. Zero, zero interest was the phrase. Yeah, yeah you, but we have zero. Said, right? That's what I've told you. have zero interest in trading, but go ahead. You know, whatever you want. You know, you want to trade. I don't know who for them, but fine. Uh, but then you look at, now Mitchell doesn't have any of the baggage. You know, he doesn't have a big injury history. He's been a good citizen here. Um, and let's just see what happens the second go around the playoffs with these guys. And then sit down with him in the off season, and as the the other executive told me, he says he wants to play with the Knicks. So what? He wanted to play with the Knicks last year, time, and he got traded to Cleveland. You don't get to pick. You're under contract. You know this is how it goes. Um, and so we'll just uh, I'm 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 with them. Just play it out and see where, see where they're going. But in the meantime, David, um, it's not going to be easy for this team to win a ton of games with the, with the way the roster is right now. Well, I was going to ask you, Terry, we, you know, last year, 51 wins. I think mm-hmm. we're at the point where it's like they might not win 51. And is that that might be OK? Like this could be one of those teams where the regular season is just one thing after another. They can't keep their roster intact and they get into the playoffs. If they're healthy in the playoffs, they do some damage. Uh, it could be one of those seasons. And I know Cavs fans don't like to hear that because they monitor every game. And it's like, oh, they're not doing this. They're not doing that. Or or they are doing this. It's They, they get excited. But, like, it all comes down to making the playoffs and then winning. I mean, in the yeah. long term. And right? having, having your team in the right emotional, physical condition to do it. So that's the thing. When, especially the, the guy they really miss is Mobley, I think. Uh, Jared Allen has stepped up in a lot of ways. But they, they're putting a huge load on his shoulders. And defensively, they're just not the same at all without Mobley. And so that's been a, the big negative. Uh, Garland, you know, Garland was just having an up-and-down season before he had his jaw broken. You know, Mobley had um, what they call minor knee surgeries, a scope, but he's expected back. So this is a just sit-tight-and-wait, you know, period for them. Meanwhile... Uh, they're finding some guys that can help. Merrill can help, you know, with his shooting. Uh, Kevin, uh, uh, Craig Porter can help 
as a point guard. With everything. <laughs> with everything, yeah. Except don't shoot three-pointer. I mean, I know he makes them once in a while, but that's not what – we don't they get enough guys firing the ball. I mean, that game, I went crazy. The other um, – I forgot who they lost to. The but Toronto it was a, game? The Toronto game. It, no, it was one – it was, uh, I believe it was Friday night last week. But anyway, it's where they were six for 43 on threes and 40 of 62 on twos. Now, halfway through that, that's where Jared Allen, they could not stop him. In fact, they didn't stop anybody who went to the rim in that game. But no, we could just jack up. Here, look, we're three feet away from a layup. Let's throw it out for a corner three because, you know, that is the greatest, uh, greatest shot ever invented in NBA history is now the corner three. Is this ridiculous? Oh, you're, you're talking about the loss to Milwaukee, right? Exactly. You yeah. got the Bucks on the ropes. Play. I mean, and and then afterwards, there's some great quotes out of the from uh, Giannis and out of the Bucks locker room. We're glad they stopped throwing the ball to Jared Allen. <laughs> they they <laughs> good. Take another right, one. So, Shoot it so from half court. <laughs> you mentioned Jared Allen, Terry, and he's been kind of on the trade rumor circuit the last several months. That should the Cavs move him and, and get another piece. This the two injuries that you mentioned have really allowed Jared Allen to to just show us some things that maybe a lot of fans haven't seen. You had some really interesting numbers in your story the other day about how he's helped the Cavs win when guys haven't been in the lineup. Mm-hmm. I thought this was really interesting. They're three and one with Allen and none of the other stars, and the stars you listed as Mobley, Mitchell, and Garland. So they're three and one with Allen, no other stars. They're six and two with Allen and one of those stars. They're 14 and 10 with Allen and two of those stars. They're 37 and 22 with Allen and all three of those stars. Mm-hmm. And they're when Allen doesn't play, they're nine and 10. And when Allen does play, they're 60 and 35. So yeah. talk about value. I and mean, those are some pretty interesting numbers. I mean, basically, it shows the value of his defense uh, to the team. And also, he's completely unselfish. See, Jared came into the league. He was a first-round pick, but he was young. He was considered, you just jump and kind of rebound, and that's it. Um, He was not considered an offensive player at all. And I think his mindset, even when he came over here, was just do that stuff. And now they're – and that's part of the reason he passes up easy shots or whatever. Because he's – you look at his shooting percentage for his career, it's high. It's usually around 60%. But they said, well, just dunk the ball. No, there's a lot more to your game than that. And there's a more to how he um, helps the Cavs uh, just simply being on the floor. And the, the combination with he and Mobley, granted, they had real trouble against the Knicks and they didn't rebound very well or whatever. But the Knicks averaged 97 points in the playoffs, 97. Um, I'm not going to go totally in Kobe Altman's direction because Kobe said just about the whole problem in that series was our lack of scoring. Uh, but that was a big part of the problem, which is, you know, that's why he brought in Struess and, and Yang to uh, hopefully alleviate help with that with some of the outside shooting. But Allen's the numbers speak for themselves in Allen. All right, Terry, I want to keep us moving along here. We do have a couple of letters. Oh, so house, some housekeeping things first. Uh, just a quick reminder, if you do want to get Terry's newsletter, you can go to cleveland.com slash newsletters, and you just click a box, sign up for Terry's newsletter. It comes out every Monday. You'll get everything he writes in a given week. And then I want to mention our email address. If you have a comment, question, funny story, you've heard some of the great contributions we've been getting from listeners, you can just send that to sports at cleveland.com, and we will get it and just put Terry's talking 
in the subject line and we'll try and get it on the podcast. So, all right, Terry, we, a while back, we've uh, asked for people to send in letters about where they live and why they're a Cleveland sports fan. We got two more here. We're going to keep going through these until we get to all of them. Some more geographic fun today. So here we go. You ready? We got two of them. Um, Dear Terry and David, born and raised in Akron, so a lifelong Cleveland sports fan, life has taken me to Cambridge, Massachusetts, Chicago, Hong Kong, and London, England, where I now live. In 1976, my brother and I taped the rebroadcast of the Cavs playoff wins over the Bullets so we could listen to Joe Tate's play-by-play call of those amazing last-shot wins. I still know exactly how each game ended. He's my all-time favorite sportscaster. For the Browns, it was the Cardiac Kids and Brian Sipe, and for the Tribe, it was Andre Thornton. Before the internet, when I came home to visit, I would gather up the last week's sports pages from my parents' recycling pile and plow through them. Today, I follow online and I listen to all the PD podcasts. It's such a, it's a way to stay connected to the teams, but also Northeast Ohio. I love how Mary Kay Cabot is such an upbeat cheerleader for the area. The podcasts also give you a more personal connection to the writers. I love hearing about Terry's trips with his wife, Mary Kay's holiday in London, and Chris Fedor's new baby. They're my hometown sports family. My favorite Mary Kay column was the one when she wrote about her father. Perfect. Keep doing a great job. Really enjoy the columns, the scribbles, and all the pods. Thanks for keeping us wayward Northeast Ohioans connected to our teams and our hometown. All the best. That's from Steve Bauer. Thanks for that, Steve. Appreciate you sending that in. And David, that shows that um, there's there's a negative that comes comes with the uh, social media and the internet and that, but it gives um, me a better idea what their fans are coming from, what interests them, and of course it gives the fans a, a much better chance to get to know us. So in a format like this, where we can tell stories or whatever, there was nothing to compare to that. I mean, I guess you could say you could be interviewed on the radio but most of the time if you're on the radio like i'm on wtam on tuesday and friday uh at six six fifty ten to seven a.m uh it's a i think it's five to six minutes i'm on the browns pregame show um on wtam it's about 12 minutes and then when i do my weekly npr commentaries amanda rabinowitz um, I talk for about 15 minutes and she cuts it into English and to make, puts it into five minutes. <laughs> so it's shorter. And, and a lot of times things that maybe you would want to, we want to get the feeling that like we're just kind of sitting around talking sports and also not talking sports like a moron with, you know, bad language and just calling people names, not doing that stuff. Um, and just so people can connect. All right, well, we've got one more here, Terry, and this one is from Bill Gruska from Woodstock, Georgia, and he says, Hey, Terry and David, I'm a lifelong Cleveland sports fanatic living in Woodstock, Georgia. My wife, who is not a sports fan, tells everyone that the only thing worse than being a Cleveland sports fan is being married to one. I would agree with that, probably. (laughs) I grew up in Cleveland, Wycliffe, and lived there until 1990 when I moved to Syracuse. We've been in Atlanta since 2001. My first memories of Cleveland sports can be summed up in two names. Jim Brown and Rocky Calavito. Mm. Yes, Terry, that makes me just a bit older than you. I remember watching the original Tito Francona play at the old stadium. I guess I got bit by the sports bug at a young age, and it was never and it never changed. When I first moved from Cleveland, my dad would send me articles from the Plain Dealer and the News Herald to feed my addiction. 
As the internet developed, I found the Akron Beacon Journal online and began faithfully reading you, Terry, on a daily basis. I think I remember you from your first stint at the Plain Dealer. It seems in so many cases you speak for me, echoing my thoughts exactly. We both grew up in blue-collar households, and I attended St. Joe while you were at Benedictine, so maybe that's why we share so many thoughts. I'm a huge fan of the Browns, Guardians, and and Browns. You put Browns in there twice. Sorry about that. I live and die with each win or loss during the Browns 1-31 era. I was sure every week would end in victory when the Cavs won the championship in 2016. I got a tattoo of their logo commemorating the win. <laughs> it is the only tattoo in my family. I do think my favorite of the teams and the one I would most like to see win a championship is the Browns. Thanks, Terry, for all your great writing through the years. I never miss an article and haven't since the ABJ days. In fact, my favorite article was the 1995 baseball playoffs when you wrote one that started with, I hate the Yankees. I know it's wrong to hate, but. (laughs) And Bill says, keep writing forever, Terry. And if he tries to retire, David, don't let him. (laughs) Thanks for that, Bill. Do you remember writing that column, Terry? No, I don't. But it sounds like something I would have written. And and I would have been in the honor of the great, great, uh, the, um, this is like one of those legends you didn't probably hear, but heard of Pete Franklin, the godfather of sports talk. Oh, yeah. He used to have I Hate the Yankee Night. He had I Hate the Yankee Hankies that he would give away that in conjunction with the team when they came in. It was one of the earlier kind of waving things. And uh, so I probably did write that. <laughs> My view is if people like this story, whether I wrote it or not, I'll take credit for it. There you go. So. All right, everybody. Again, if you want to hit us with any thoughts, comments, or questions, um, I am going to try and have the fan survey ready for next week. That Thursday night game just knocked us all for a loop, I think, so I'm a little behind. But we want to put out a survey since it's the new year asking you what you like and don't like about the podcast so we can make it even better in 2024. So I think we're done, right, Terry? Anything else you want to mention? That'll be it. Oh, the book of the week. Terrible self-promotion, but if it's in Brownstown, 1964. And I say that not only because I wrote it and not only because it's good, because those guys, my wife and I, Roberta, were just talking about this this morning because she did all the tapes. She transcribed all the tapes back then, which, by the way, shows how far back it was, cassette tapes they were taped on. Um, They were so excited to talk about that time. Many of them had not been interviewed before. For example, the stories that I told about Frank Ryan earlier, the injuries, he never talked about that anywhere else. You know, those guys just open up their hearts to uh, to me uh, so that I could show you the heart of that team and, and the stories of those players and, and a lot, quite a bit about what they did after football, too. All right. Check that all out at TerryPluto.com, where you can find all of Terry's books. And, uh, boy, next week we're going to be talking Browns playoff football and opponent. Terry, it's going to be crazy. Thanks for listening, everybody. We will catch you next time on Terry's Talking.